Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on today's episode, we, rec- we welcome Ann Chow, who's the CEO of AT&T Business. We talked to her today about uh, the seven C's of leadership. We talked to her about um, how to, what leadership looks like in post, I guess we're not still, we're not in post-pandemic times, but coming up into post-pandemic times. And how do we take care of our people? How do we really enable um, authentic leadership? knowing our authentic selves, as well as encouraging other people to live out their authentic selves. Um, and how do we uh, get people to, to live and lead passionately? It's a great conversation. Uh, besides being an experienced leader, Anne's also a co-author of a book, A Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. She's got lots of interesting thoughts, great lessons for us. And the conversation today was just really unique um, and full of quotables. So I would just say, Get your notebook ready or get your uh, favorite notes app ready because there's a lot of takeaways from this conversation. I appreciate you joining us. If you've not subscribed already, please subscribe. Um, we need your support. We appreciate your support and enjoy this conversation. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. This is awesome to have you. As you know, our first question that we ask everybody is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Yeah, Dustin, that's a great question. And thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Man, the who are you is a, I don't know if that's like a trick question because there isn't obviously just one answer to that. So I am a mom, I'm a daughter, uh, I'm a wife, I'm a second, proud second generation American. Um, I am a leader. Um, I fancy myself a servant leader and uh, I am an agent of change. Mm. Have you always looked at yourself as an agent of change or is that something that you kind of grew into over time? For sure, it's something that I grew into. You know, I, I have, uh, in, in my many decades of life here and, and many decades of career out in the corporate environment, um, you know, my, my vision for myself and those that I impact and that I support every day has definitely evolved. But for sure, I believe that um, everyone has an opportunity to be a change agent in a very, very positive way. And in fact, and my guess is you're going to hear a couple of quotes from me, uh, Dustin, throughout this whole conversation, but my absolute favorite one which are my words to live by is from Gandhi and that is be the change you wish to see in the world. And so, you know, I, I think uh, you ended an article that I loved that you wrote recently. Uh, it was called, you know, post pandemic times will require a new brand of leadership. Will you step up? And I'm pretty sure you ended the article with that in mind. What, what is it about these post pandemic times that require a new brand of leadership? And what is that leadership from your eyes? Yeah, it's, um, you know, where we are today is, it's really profound, isn't it? I mean, I think one of the things about um, this moment in time in which we're all living um, is that the future is really uncertain. I don't think that there's ever been a time, at least in our history, in our generation's history, where there is so much uncertainty and there has been so much change virtually in every country around the world, every facet of society. This global pandemic has changed us, right? It has changed us as a society and it's changed us as humanity. Um, what we've learned over these last 20 plus months, if you can believe that it's been that long, depending on where you are in the world, it's been even longer. Um, you know, what's, what's changed for us, I believe, is that we have realized the power of the human connection. You know, in the early days of the pandemic, um, you know, we, we had this phrase, you'll remember it, where we said, hey, we have to social distance. And I'm often you know, quoted as saying, because I believe this wholeheartedly, that I wish we didn't call it that. I wish we called it physical distance because that's actually what we meant. 
right? What we realized very, very quickly is that what we actually need is social connection. And what keeps us going, what keeps us alive, what gives us joy, what, what, uh, what fuels our health, right? In all kinds of ways, our overall well-being is the power of our human connection. And so as a result of that, what we have all learned, leaders of all shapes and sizes, industries, roles, whatever, right? Um, you know, we have all learned as leaders that there is something to be said for ensuring that the acknowledgement, you know, the understanding, um, the set of actions that you take when you realize that you know, all business, all education, everything um, is fueled by the human connection. It's not the other way around. Um, that in many ways is, is, is um, somewhat liberating, right? Uh, but as a result, what it means is that um, in, in post-pandemic, and we are not by any stretch post-pandemic, right? We're still very much in it, um, that we need a, um, you know, we need evolved leadership. We, you know, our leadership styles of what has gotten to us where we are up until this point will not be sufficient for charting the path for a much brighter and a much stronger future. And that's really what um, was the impetus of me writing that op-ed, that article. Great, so what, what are the things that got us here and what does it look like to lead now? I mean, what are some of the basic structures that you've seen of this worked really well the last 50 years, this is gonna have to be the case if we're gonna be successful in the next 50. Yeah. So one of the key things here, and you know, again, you you, you got to keep in mind that my orientation, uh, and this has actually always been the case, um, you, even when I was, um, you know, a leader when I was young, right? When I was, um, you know, in, in um, you know, in high school even, or in junior high, right? right? Leadership in my mind has always been about people, right? And I I would even tell you that I had this somewhat traditional view, a little bit of this is cultural, a little bit of it is generational, I am an old Gen Xer, um, is that you know, leadership comes from a position or a title, right? You, know, you have to be captain of your tennis team, you have to be president of your band, you've got to run the student council or be on the, you know, the, uh, the school board or whatnot. And what I feel that we have learned, I can tell you that I have certainly learned this over the course of my career, but have seen it come to life over these last uh, two years is that leadership is really about a mindset and leadership is really a choice. Leadership has nothing to do with titles or position um, in any way, shape or form actually. Leadership very much is a choice and every single person I believe um, across the country, across the world has an opportunity to lead um, in some way, right? At every stage, of their life, right? And in any number of capacities. I think in the old days, we naturally look to positions of power traditionally, right? Positions of authority traditionally, whether it was our teachers, our professors, our bosses, right? The heads of our church, if religion is a thing, right? You know, for you, right? If you have, if you have some kind of structured faith, you know, our, our elders even, right? Within our family, right? And so um, what is required now, though, it is not to say that those traditional leadership roles are not important. They definitely are, but we need to seek leadership from all sources and all people in every stage of their life. So that, that to me is really one of the grounding factors, and we have certainly seen it, um, you know, with the, um, you know, with this pandemic in terms of how 
business models were severely disruptive, how, you know, um, long told processes of, um, you know, even drug approval, right? When you think about the vaccination process, right? I mean, you know, so many rules, if you will, were broken in order to accelerate progress uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and save lives, quite frankly, right? And, and so we have seen that crisis um, this is actually another another thing that I mentioned in that um, in that article, right? You know, there is a saying, an old saying that says, you know, crisis um, develops great leaders. Um, I believe that crisis reveals great leaders, right? Because you you know, in crisis, we sort of throw out all of our traditional roles and we lean in, right? I mean, those those leaders leaders will lean in no matter what, right? Um, and so uh, those are just some of my thoughts on the past styles of leadership versus what is required now to. Um, you know, build winning teams, right? Build environments where um, you're truly inspiring people and you are you know, encouraging them and supporting them to move forward. forward. One of the reasons why I've always fancied myself a servant leader, if you will. So, I mean, that, that's something that is clear in any research done on you is that people around you look at you as that. So it's not just you mm -hmm. saying it. I feel like a lot of people who had the privilege of working alongside you have said that's, that's your authentic can you serve others well, which is really refreshing to hear. One of the things that I find challenging for some leaders, especially as you get more and more people, uh, you get to steward more and more people, is you know you have 30,000 people under your, your leadership. It's clear you're a servant leader and you want that, but sometimes that may get lost somewhere down the chain in terms of the feel. What are some structures or systems you try to put in place so that you're empowering people to be leaders no matter what their position is in that 30,000 uh, employee room. Yeah, yeah, so I, 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 Dustin, I will admit, I get this question quite a bit, right? Which is <laughs> how do you become a leader of the people? How do you develop an environment where people feel that they can be their most authentic self, right? And it's sort of really logical, isn't it? Just an aside on, on authenticity, because I think this is such a critical part of education today and building really robust educational environments is if you're not being your most authentic self, right? How can you be your best self, right? How can you realize your potential at an individual level, at a team level, at an organizational level, at a company level, if you're not enabling every single member of that team or that organization to be their true self, right? And this is, you know, it sounds easy, but it's not, it's not, right? It's not, it's not easy. So how have I, how have I done it over the years? It really gets back to where we started this conversation, which is being very conscious of the power of human connection. You know, one of the, um, one of the things that I learned fairly early on, and I really credit my, um, my business school experience for sparking this in me, because I, I, um, I went to college for engineering largely, right? So I, I characterize, characterize myself in my early days as an introverted engineer, but I knew that there was something more, right? Not that I didn't love technology or I didn't love science and math and all that good stuff, but I knew that I wanted to do more. I wanted to be about an impact and I wanted to be about outcomes. And I quickly realized that that meant that I had to be about people, right? And if you're gonna be about people and if you're gonna be a leader of the people, then you must understand the art and the science of building relationships, right? Which means that you've gotta figure out how to do that, even if you have tens of thousands of employees, even if you have one employee, you know, or three members of your team, whatever the number is, the key is how do you build relationships? How do you create connection with every member of your team? 
So one of the things that I have learned, uh, because quite honestly, Dustin, it's, it's easy, right? If you're co-located with your team and you can count them on your fingers and your toes, right? Because it is then possible to actually build one-on-one -on -one relationships with every member of your team. But as that scales, both in complexity and number, as well as geography, it is literally impossible to do so, right? It, you know, I'd be disingenuous with you, with you if I said, hey, yeah, I've actually had a chance to meet one-on-one -on -one with all 30 to 35,000 of my people all around the world, right? That's just not the case. So the question is then, how do you do that? How do you create that connection? Um, and this is a characteristic that I, I feel um, that is key for great leaders. Um, I, have this, I have this framework, which we can dive into if, we li if you like, uh, called the seven C's of leadership. So one of the C's is communication, right? And so I realized, gosh, I don't know how many years, this is probably, I don't know, maybe two decades ago that I could not scale myself. Right. I realized that I was only hitting each market, you know, and, and at that point, I don't think that I had the world. I think I had the country right in my role. I was like, you know, I may only have a chance to go to Little Rock, Arkansas once every two years. Right. You know, there's certain markets that I'll hit over and over and over again, just given the demands of the business. But some markets I might not even ever get to. Right. Physically. So I, I was really racking my brain of how do I. How do I create that connection in a much more authentic way? Yes, of course, I do town hall meetings. And yes, of course, I do video broadcasts and all that kind of good stuff and take advantage of technology. But I, um, I actually started blogging. Um, you know, AT&T at the time had launched a social platform, a business social platform that we, um, that we called at the time T-Space. And I knew that, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to look into this blogging thing. You know, again, being an engineer, I didn't really fancy myself a writer. But I was like, there's got to be a way that I can communicate with my team on a much more organic basis. So I actually got myself a social media coach, if you will, right, a business media coach um, who said to me, I still remember this to this day. He said to me, if you're going to commit to do it, you must do it. But you must do it religiously. You must be dedicated to it. It needs to be frequent enough, but it can't be too frequent that people are thinking that you're being disingenuous. And so I was, you know, of course, me being me, I said, well, what is the right frequency to do it? And he told me weekly, he's like, you need to blog weekly, right? And so I embarked on a journey of becoming a blogger weekly. Uh, and I'm proud to say that after, um, I don't do it weekly anymore, so confession right now, but for eight plus years straight, I blogged weekly to my organization every single week, even when I was on vacation. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it was really short, other times it wasn't. But what it did was, because you're looking for content, right? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? So I found my voice. I found my, my ability to bring forth my authenticity. Uh, you know, it still warms my heart to this day when I meet somebody or see somebody that I haven't seen in a long time and they say, Hey, how are your girls? You know, I loved seeing pictures of your girls uh, because it was like we were going through the same thing at the same time, right? And one of the things, you know, or man, how's that dog? You know, you're, you're an Australian shepherd lover. And so, you know, how's, how's that dog of yours and all this other stuff. And so to live your life in a bit more transparency, I think than many leaders are comfortable doing was a really big key, um, was a really big key for me because what it did was it created, and I, I didn't do it for this reason, but it was an out, it was an outcome that um, was gold, right? Which was, I was creating an environment where leaders were actual like normal people 
right? That I talked about some of the trials and tribulations of my life life, right? And um, it made leadership more accessible, if you will, right? And it made me a little bit more relatable, I like to, I like to think. Um, and it helped to create that human connection, even if I might never see that person to shake their hand or give them a hug or do any of those things that we so love doing, but have been removed from doing given this global pandemic, right? I mean, that's is so much of what we miss. Um, so it's really all about how to create that human connection, that social connection using a plethora of technologies, using a plethora of, of modalities, if you will, because it's just as important one-on-one as it is, you know, one to 30,000 or one to 100,000 or whatever the the case may be, right? So along this path, there's a quote that I love of yours that says, people don't have a personal life and a professional life. They have one life. And I feel like so often I see leaders, um, even in the education space where we feel like we've got to get results and I just need my teachers to be teachers and I just need them to get the results. How, How can we help people uh, recognize that like it's really hard or almost impossible uh, to separate professional and personal life and we have to serve people in their whole life as leaders. Yeah so a couple of thoughts on this I want to give a shout out to one of my very best bosses that I ever had because this was early on in my career I want to say it was maybe it was maybe four or five years into my career so I was you know I was like a young pup okay I worked for this amazing leader um, later on in her career she retired. And she retired way earlier than any of us thought that she should or that she would, okay? Um, And I remember speaking at her retirement party um, and uh, listening to her about why she did it. And it was this exact point, right? Which is, I have a personal life and I have, you know, I don't have two lives. There's a personal, you know, there's a personal side of me, there's a professional side of me, and I shouldn't have to choose. So I'm choosing my whole life, right? And I'm choosing my life such that right now what's most important to me is not this. And I thought, I thought that was so incredibly courageous and it was like a light bulb went on in my head. Now, that said, you know the business that AT&T is in, right? We create connections through you know, incredible connectivity solutions. We sell the technology and services that blend your life, right? That allow you to be and enable you to be connected, whether you're a business you know, or an individual or a family or whatnot, right? So, um, so in so many ways, the technologies that we have today are part blessing and part curse, right? So it becomes even more difficult to draw that line, right? Or figure out how to balance the use of these technologies and know when do you need downtime, when do you not? And how do you use some of this technology more for good, right? And you know, we see this in, I have two Gen Z daughters, right? Uh, I, I see it in their generation and I see it in the generation that comes after them. You know, I think they're calling it Gen Alpha where they're on all the time. They're connected to everything at all times and it's good and it's bad, right? I mean, and so, um, so how do you do that? So how do you think of somebody and how do you focus on their entire well-being? And you know, if you reflect on some of the comments that I made earlier, I absolutely believe that if somebody isn't well, or if they're not being their true self, they're never going to be the best team member ever, right? They're never going to be able to unleash the power of their brain, the power of their heart, the power of their you know, hands. You know, these are all figuratively speaking, of course, right? And so, and isn't that what we all want, right? 
all, all each of us want, I believe on some visceral level is to realize our fullest potential, right? And this is something that uh, my parents instilled in me uh, when I was very little, right? I mean, they were always pushing, 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 pushing. And it wasn't about being the best. It was about being my best. And these are lessons that I've tried to impart on my children, right? Which is all I want you to do and dream for you to do is to realize your fullest potential, right? And, and that's, right, that's what each of us have been given this incredible life to live, right? I mean, no two people are the same. And so I think for me, it has been part of my persona, part of my own leadership development to figure out, all right, you know, you know Dustin, I'm sure you, you, you've encountered this throughout your career as well. When somebody asks, well, how are you? And they don't actually really care. You can actually tell, but you're like, don't even, this is why you say, well, fine. Okay. Well, how are you? Right. It's just, you know, or how's your family? Well, you've never actually ever asked me about my family. So, uh, so you actually really don't care. So don't ask. Right. So I think a lot of this has to be, it has to be genuine, right? I mean, it has to be genuine and you have to figure out ways to bring that out in people. Look, not everybody will want to talk about their family. In fact, for many years, I specifically suppressed it. Why did I suppress it? Because I believed that there was an immense, of bi immense amount of bias, right? As a female, as a female uh, of color, if you will, right? Being one of the only or one of the first to do any number of things in my career, I didn't want it to be a handicap for me, quite frankly, right? And you know, I'd been around enough to realize that sometimes your differences are viewed not necessarily as strengths, right? So I work hard to create an environment where people can, if they want to, right, um, talk about it, right? Talk about their whole lives, right? I mean, you know, I, I do it, you know, I do it frequently. I just, you know, it's probably just simply part of my uh, per, you know, personality now and my approach. But I find that if, if you do and you, it comes from a genuine place, then others will become more comfortable uh, about it as well. So- you brought up uh, your daughters a couple of times. And I, you know, we have an education-focused podcast. When you think about the future of work um, and the future of graduates, what are the most important skill sets? You can limit the three. You can go probably to 10. I'm sure you've got a lot in your head. But like, what are the, those main skill sets you really want your kids to have as they go take on the world? Yeah. So you know, I, I think foundationally, character and integrity right, serve really at the core, right, and, um, you know, to have principles and values, right, um, are the most foundational, right, now, typically speaking, um, you know, typically speaking, this can happen, um, and is expected to happen within any given family unit, right, but we also have to keep in mind that not every one of our students, not every one of our youth come from um, home environments where that's where they're going to learn values and character, right, so, I do think that there's an important role that the education system plays in, um, in demonstrating and in educating um, what's right, right? From a moral perspective, from an ethical perspective, we can look back in history and find any number of examples. One, that was not the case, right? We can look at today and see examples of that is not the case. And I feel that um, part of the responsibility of um, educators and the administrators who support the educators who support the students, right? Because it is a, right, it is an ecosystem, right? That that forms our educational, um, you know, systems, if you will. Um, you, you've you've got to work in um, open transparency, right? There's there's nothing different about it uh, in terms of the characteristics of great leadership 
you know, whether you're in education or where you're, you know, whether you're in the um, private sector, right, or whether you're in corporate America, if you will, right, many of what I talked about are relevant. So character and integrity and those underlying values are important, right? You have to be able to talk about times when it was not the case, right, you know, and you can see where it leads, right? And so I think that's that's very important for us to look at that and to learn about it because otherwise history repeats itself, right? I mean, that's part of the issue with unconscious bias, right? Is that if you don't bring it to the surface and make it conscious, you can never reframe it and it will always be there under the surface, impacting your thoughts, impacting your words and impacting your actions and decisions, right? And so, um, so that's one key thing is, is just character and integrity. Another one would be competence, right? Just, is I'm slowly trickling my seven C's of leadership for you, by the way, Justin, and for your audience. You can actually go there after yeah. that. I'll ask you. <laughs> so, um, so competence, but what's it mean to have competence, right? One of the things that I wish um, I knew coming out of school into the workforce was that, um, that life is not binary, right? There is, there is no yes and no and absolutes in so many different things, right? And so um, this, uh, this, this, this whole idea of, well, hey, I know it all and I have mastered this subject. So I am the expert. Look how quickly uh, technology is innovating. Look how quickly the sciences are innovating, right? I mean, human ingenuity can be seen in every facet of society, right? Whether it's how we approach um, our planet and climate change and, uh, you know, and doing the right thing environmentally, you know, whether it is how we are approaching, um, you know, social, uh, you know, social and civil rights, right, and ensuring that every voice matters and every voice is heard, you know, and so um, confidence, though, is situational, isn't it, right? So you have to have a set of competence for your role today. I, I need to have a set of competence for my role today. But our role yesterday was different than our role today, which will be different than our role in the future. So what is the characteristic then? The characteristic that I feel is really foundational that must come out of our educational systems is this passion for learning, right? This commitment to lifelong learning, right? Um, I, I actually was kind of a, uh, my daughters would both tell you this, both my husband and I are engineers, so we are, we are admittedly STEM biased, okay? Um, and it's not because, hey, we believe that engineers are going to solve the world's problems, even though many of them do, um, but, but we have this view that, um, you know, getting, getting a degree in STEM helps shape a way of thinking, a, a way of an approach, right? That involves qualitative assessments, the quantitative assessments, right? I, I attribute so much of how I approach problems today to my underlying education, right? Which was not about learning about, you know, digital signal processing or, or, or whatever, right? It was really about how to start that first set of foundation of becoming a lifelong learner, right? And be, becoming somebody who was committed to learning constantly from every situation, not even just from books or from courses or from certificates, but to learn from people, right? And that, that actually has been one of my, um, one of my greatest joys in my career and my life is just, you know, I've approached, I approach almost every situation as a situation for learning, even in the darkest of, of situations. So I think that commitment to continuous learning and having that characteristic um, for our students when they come out of school um, is so important. Then I would say another one 
is um, is is courage, right? Now, what is what is courage in the context of a young student or a young adult um, or somebody that, that is youth, right? You you don't necessarily think about courage in their sense, but what I would say is this: is that um, when I reflect on my experience, that um, for me it was just sort of this grit and resilience that, and I don't know if it's because I'm a second generation American, my parents came to this country with like nothing, and so I have a very big aperture for risk, right? I, I just, I don't believe in failure. I, I believe that there's success and learning, right? And, um, you know, unless you choose to just stay down, I literally don't think that there's anything, I don't, I don't think that there's such a thing as failure because everything that happens to you in that moment, it may feel terrible. And I've had many of those times. If you learn from it and you pick yourself up and you move on, it shapes who you are. So I think with our, with our children and with youth, we, we have to somehow encourage them to, um, to develop that grit, to develop that resilience, right? Which as an adult, it turns into courage in a way, right? I, you know, I, when, you, when you say to a young kid, right, if I said to my kids, hey, I need you to be courageous. I don't think that because they don't, haven't, haven't had enough of practical world experience to understand what courage is. But you know, when you get knocked down and get back up again, every kid can relate to that right? Every kid can relate to, hey, look, this is a moment in time. This does not define you, right? How you respond to it, how you react to it, how you use it to become better and stronger and what you learn to do and not to do, right? From this helps shape who you are and who you can be, right? So I would say that's that's the other one, if you will, um, uh, Dustin, that I think is so important with our kids. And you know, when you look when you look at some of these generations and you know the, the trophy generation where you know it used to be, hey, if you want, you know, if you won, uh, I don't know, if you won, uh, you know, the, the the soccer tournament, you would get a trophy, right? Now they all get trophy, right? So so I think a lot of this is not really doing um, our kids a service if we try to shelter them in a bubble, because that's not the world, right? That's not the way the world works. The world is changing. Right, whether it's the demographics of the world, the environment of this one planet that we live on, I mean, it's all changing. And don't we want our next generation of leaders, which is how I view the youth of today, are the leaders of the future? Don't we want them to be resilient? Don't we want them to be courageous? Don't we want them leaning forward as opposed to looking back or holding back? Because that's how progress is made. So. Yeah, I don't want to take too much of a political stand, at least in terms of like local school politics. But uh, I was catching up with an old friend this weekend and he used to be an administrator and a basketball coach at a local high school where they didn't have they had a no cut policy. And to me, that was just like I understood like the heart behind it. But it was a travesty because that, you know, that cut could do one of two things. If my son or daughter got cut you know, they could either learn to get better to make sure they don't get cut again, or they could find out they have unique talents in another area that they even sought to pursue. Uh, and so I, when you say everyone gets a trophy, I, I do struggle with that mentality, not because, uh, and I, again, I, I'm not attacking the people that believe it with the heart behind it, but we've got to figure out a way to get kids with grit, right? And understanding what the real world is like. Yeah. And that, that gets to the competence piece, right? Which is, hey, look, you know, you're well qualified for your job today. I'm well qualified for my job today. If we switched jobs, 
My guess is you're probably not qualified for mine and I'm not I'm qualified for you, right? right? Certainly so, not. No, 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 but, right, but that gets to the competence is something that, and, and this is actually a, right, this is actually the foundation for the speed of trust, right? You know, from right. Um, Stephen M. Markovy, right? Character and competence must go hand in hand to build a foundation for trust. And we mistaken trust often with character alone, right? But, you know, for me to trust you, Dustin, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's situational, right? I mean, I'm trusting, I'm, I'm entrusting you for us to have this professional and lovely and engaging conversation, right? Now, will I, will I trust you to, um, will I trust you to, you know, if I tear my other rotator cuff, am I gonna trust you to operate on my shoulder? No, uh, no right? Because while you have great character, you are not competent for that leadership task at hand, mm. you know? And so I, I, um, I'm a huge, fan of uh, speed of trust, um, you know, it, for me, it really helped articulate and frame up so many things that I had observed, so many things that I had worked to practice um, around, around leadership, so. Yeah, to go to that, uh, down that line, because I know our time's coming close to an end. Um, you're a self-proclaimed motivation uh, junkie, and so I know you like good books, good quotes, um, and inspirational speakers. What are either some of the books or speakers that have inspired you the most in your career or are inspiring you lately? They could be podcasts. They could be anything. I'm just curious in terms of uh, where oh, you yeah. got leadership from. Yeah. So God, there's so many. Okay. So um, if, uh, so I'm going to give you a couple of them and I'll give you a couple that I've actually shared with my, um, with my broader organization. Okay. Um, one I touched on is grit. Okay. So, um, you know, Angela Duckworth, is the author of a, the book called Grit. She is the one who years and years ago did an early TED talk on this topic of grit and the fact that the most common attribute of successful leaders was not IQ, it was not EQ, it wasn't any of these other things, right? It was actually grit, right? Um, and so um, Angela and her book, I think are very um, super, super helpful, right? Especially if it sounds kind of very soft, like, well, what is grit and how do I teach it and how do I think about it, right? And how do I instill in my team, in myself, in my children and those that I care about, um, you know, this, this notion of effort and resilience, right? And perseverance, if you will. So that's, that's one. Um, another one this year is actually what we did with uh, my leadership kickoff this year was, uh, and I'm a longtime massive fangirl here, is Brene Brown. Okay. And, um, and so we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to do um, a uh, fireside chat with Brene Brown um, for my organization. And I mean, I, I was like major girl crushing on her before, but now, you know, afterwards, why do I love Brene? And I love anything that she writes and everything that she says and anything that she says. One, she is real. I mean, talk about authenticity personified, right? I love the fact that she's a qualitative researcher because I also think that sometimes we get so caught up in the numbers and it's all this mumbo jumbo, right? That's not Brene, right? I mean, Brene's, uh, right, Brene's um, practice, her teachings, her philosophy, her approach um, is derived in, in, in other ways, right? I mean, it's in this idea of qualitative research, which I think is incredibly powerful, right? And, and is, is more of an emerging science, if you will, it's almost an oxymoron than quantitative research, right? I mean, you do need both, right? But um, so, I, so I think with, with Brene, um, I find her incredibly motivational and I am all over her podcasts and her books um, and her social media accounts and, uh, and uh, you know, and, um, and, every, and uh, all of her stuff. I love Adam Grant also, right? 
love everything he's written. Um, you know, a couple of his books really helped reframe my my thinking. I you know I particularly love given you know uh, you know give and take or give or take. Um, and so I, I uh, I'm a huge fan of his um, of his as well. So you know uh, you know it's so it's not just all kind of really classic. Um, you know, very, um, very professional educators or academics or thought leaders. Um, I'll throw one name out there. And I think it's, uh, I, I love him because he's so irreverently brilliant and is always provocative. And that's Scott Galloway. So mm -hmm. I love listening to his stuff too. I mean, it always makes me think and I'm always like, dang, you know, like, you know, just because again, I, you know, I do it, I do it to, to provoke the provocative side of my brain, right? You know? Um, and yeah, he can be very salty. He can be incredibly negative, right? He can be incredibly caustic, but every voice matters, right? And his voice to me is one that, it stimulates me to think differently many times, right? It really, it really has me pondering certain things and certain issues um, in a very different way. And I find that to be very, very refreshing, so. Absolutely. Well, I know music is a big part of your past and probably current. I mean, those who don't know, you were classically trained uh, in Juilliard, right? To be a, a concert pianist. Mm -hmm. And so uh, music's probably a big deal in your world. One of the questions we've been asking every uh, guest this season is uh, what, what music is on your current playlist? You know, whether it's like your workout playlist or, you know, walking around the neighborhood or just driving around the city. I know you probably got some high traffic commutes in Dallas, so... Uh, I'm curious, what, what is on your current playlist? Yeah, so uh, so this might be a surprise to people, uh, you know, having been a classically trained pianist, which I don't play anymore, by the way. So uh, I'll, I'll get to it in retirement someday is my aspiration. So uh, so what is my jam? Like, what, what is my go-to all of the time? And what would I listen to any time of any day? My number one favorite um, band is the Foo Fighters, who just got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way. They okay, did. best concerts I've ever been to as well. So I love them. So I could listen to them all day, every day long. Um, I am also a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. I haven't seen them yet, but I'm aspiring to because they are coming to Texas next year. So, you know, I'm, I'm trolling for some seats right now. Um, I also love uh, the Killers. Love the Killers. Um, love Alt-J, right? So I might be freaking some people out there because they're like, we would have never that. thought this stuff is on her playlist. Um, but I also love the, so I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. So I have, you know, so one of my playlists is kind of like the, God, I'm going to sound like a really seasoned person here, but you know, like my 80s clubbing stuff, yes. you know? So, you know, I am all about New Order, The Cure, Depeche Mode, you know, that whole, that whole, I have like a whole, right? So I have that stuff. And then of course, um, I'm also an audiophile for the classics, right? Like classic rock, you know? So, you know, Eagles and Boston and Foreigner and just some, you know, Led Zeppelin. I mean, just, so, so I've got a fairly broad range of, yeah. of, um, of musical tastes, so. I just love that you appreciate all that. I, I actually had no idea where that would land when I asked you the question, <laughs> given your background, no, sincerely. Like, I assume, I mean, if you're that talented a musician at an early age, you probably have a pretty broad taste of music because you've you've seen a lot and experienced a lot, but just never know. That's that's interesting. I would certainly have never guessed Foo Fighters. That is really cool. Uh, another question we're asking is, you know, we want to learn from people's habits and disciplines that they're doing on a daily basis that make them successful. What are those, um, you know, daily or weekly habits or disciplines that you have that you think set you up to be the most successful version of yourself? 
Oh gosh. So, um, so I would say, uh, and I, I have to admit, uh, Dustin, to our audience here that I'm a little bit falling off the wagon. Okay. So right now I would not say that I am my most healthy, well self, uh, you know, whether that's mind, body, you know, or heart, um, when I feel that I am, so I'm going to answer it this way. Okay. Cause I, I, I want to be genuine with your audience here. So I don't want people to think I'm actually doing this right now because I'm not, and I'm trying to get back on the wagon. Okay. So one is for sure physical fitness, right? I do think that, you know, when I think about when I operate at the best, I have some regular form of physical activity, high intensity. For me, it's got to be high intensity. What is my jam? My jam is fitness boxing. Okay. And it is because it is a complete mental, emotional, and physical release. You can't do it if you're multitasking in your brain, you absolutely cannot do it. So I am working to get back. I'm probably like, I fell off the wagon for maybe about four or five weeks. So I'm struggling to get back, but I will get back. Um, I would also say that um, um, uh, some of your own mental time, right? So whether it's you like sitting around listening to music or you love reading books or cheesy magazines or binging some mindless show, I say power to you right? I mean, whatever it is that you need for that mental release, right, um, is so important. And don't have anybody judge whatever it is for you, right? You know, I was just talking to one of my daughters last night about Squid Games, you know, which of course is this, you know, number one Netflix, you know, a show that's out there, right? And I was saying, hey, have you watched it yet? She's like, no, I I, I haven't yet. And for me, it took me a while. Like it had to de- get really expl- explosive, super popular for me to then, okay, carve out the time because it's subtitles, right? right. And I, um, and so you actually have to pay attention to it. You can't, it's not a binge experience that you can multitask in, right? Because then you'll, unless you are fluent in Korean, of course, right, which I am not. So, um, so whatever it is, right? And for me, it varies. Sometimes it'll be like, if I have a lot of travel, I'm one of those few people who rarely like to work on an airplane. I feel like that should be the sanctity of some time, right? I love to read on an airplane. So I might do some work reading. I might do some, you know, uh, you know, uh, cheesy magazine reading. I might read, you know, a bunch, a bunch of books or whatnot, right? So, so for me, airplane time is my sort of Zen reading time, right? Um, and so whatever it is for you, I think you've got to have that mental release from everything, right? But only you know um, what it is, right? And because for me, one of the aspects is reading. I do think to the earlier um, comment that we made about lifelong learning is an important attribute for all leaders um, across all stages of their life. You've got to figure out a way with which to absorb different stuff, okay? And whether that's podcasts, whether it's actually reading lots of different things, you know, whether it's books, magazines, periodicals, newspapers, right? I mean, most of this stuff is now digitally uh, enabled, right? Uh, not a lot of people like the actual um, tactile piece anymore, I suppose. Um, or if it's putting yourself in situations where you're meeting different people, right? And I know there's, it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's, a lot of times you just don't have the time to do so. But if you find yourself getting too comfortable in your routine, you got to do something to shake it up because when you're comfortable, it, actually means that you're not growing, right? And you're not challenging yourself enough, whether that's in your physical activity, whether that's in your mental activity, in your emotional activity and engagement. Um, and, and each of us kind of know that for ourselves, right? We know I'm kind of in a rut, 
right? Well, what is this rut? Is this rut a physical rut? I've been doing the same workout and my body has plateaued and I'm not challenged anymore. Am I in this mental rut? Like, man, I'm just so tired of being exposed to this same thing over and over, right? I'm like, you know, the news I watch is all the same, right? The stuff that I'm exposing to myself to is all the same. Let me just pick up something totally different or let me go, um, go be in a different place, right? I think travel is wonderful this, now that travel is, um, you know, travel is uh, picking back up again safely. Put yourself in a very different environment than you're used to, right? I mean, challenge yourself in that way. And that's how you stay fresh um, and lean forward into what the, the future, um, you know, will, will bring and, and be part of it. One more thing uh, before I let you go. I, I know that a lot of leaders focus on how they can give of their time and effort, energy to certain causes. And I believe one of the causes that you either presently involved with or just were recently involved with was the Girl Scouts of the USA. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I served on the national board for a bunch of years. Yeah. What, what was it about the Girl Scouts mission that had you so attracted to what they do? Yeah, yeah. And, and I do think too, Dustin, I mean, thank you for bringing this up because this, this really gets to the root of what is happiness and what is success. Um, there is this great book, I'm going to diverge a little bit, then I will answer your question. Um, uh, there's this great book um, called The Only Way to Win. It's by Jim Lair. And um, in it, he unpacks um, what's it really mean to be successful and what's it really mean to be winning? Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's got a couple of different uh, case studies in there, but one of them is Andre Agassi. And the whole thing behind the premise of, of Jim's teachings and research is we are truly most happy and winning when we're helping other people, right? It, it gets to where we started this whole conversation and the power of the human connection, the power of social connection, right? Um, and that no matter how much money and how much fame and how much titles or all the stuff that you have, right? At the end of it, it is the relationships that you have, right? And the people in your life and the people whose lives you're impacting in a positive way, right? Okay, so for me, the Girl Scouts, the Girl Scouts is actually a pretty easy one in terms of one for me to get involved in and be committed to. I was a Girl Scout growing up. And so um, I'm actually now a lifetime member. I'm a lifetime Girl Scout. Um, both of my daughters had experience in Girl Scouts. Um, for me, uh, when I was young, when I was you know in, uh, I don't remember, junior high elementary school, which is when I was doing it, it taught me the importance of service, right? So I have this, part of me that was shaped by my early experiences as Girl Scouts. I also like to say that my very first sales job was selling Girl Scout cookies, right? And absolutely true statement, right? You know, and, um, but I didn't think of it like that then, you know, and I, who knew that half my career would be spent in B2B selling, right? So, so, so that said, um, why, why was it important to me? Um, you know, there are very, there are very few organizations that are of that scale that are solely dedicated to the unique challenges and opportunities associated with girls. As being a girl myself, being the mom of two girls, um, you know, we are still not at a place, you know, across society where we have achieved equality and equity in every aspect of life, right? And so um, I felt very, um, a lot of conviction around being part of the growth, being part of the strategy, being part of the support for the Girl Scouts of the USA. And it was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. You know, during my tenure there um, you know, on the board, the Girl Scouts launched you know, a series of STEM badges actually, you know, uh, cybersecurity and data analytics and others, right? And I'm thinking to myself, this is not the Girl Scouts of like 
when I was there and I had like my home ec badge, right? right. <laughs> so, so, uh, but that, that, that just helps inform, you know, what, what my um, passion, um, you know, was and is, and I am, yes, a, a supporter and a proud lifetime member of the Girl Scouts. That's awesome. Well, um, I, I committed, we started to end this at the right time. We are at that time. Uh, your time is very precious. Is there anything you want to leave everyone with or are we good moving on because you've left us so much to think about today and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, Dustin, that's great. Since, since your audience is one um, that is around education, if I could, I'm going to ask that you all indulge me in another quote, okay? Absolutely. And this is one that I, that I, um, that I actually posted on my social because my town happens to be going through a school board election right now. And it's a Malcolm X quote. So I'm going to read it because I want to get it right because I think it's so powerful. And I would want for every, everyone who's in our audience here who is in education to really think about this. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with some comments about it. And that is, education is the passport to the future. For tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. Okay, um, I'll, I'll uh, you know, and that quote to me is so powerful. I'll, since you brought up Girl Scouts, I'm going to um, um, I'm going to give you one that's from also Juliet Gordon Lowe, who's the founder of the Girl Scouts. This is one that um, I carry with me all the time. It's kind of like my "Be the Change" with Gandhi, and that is, the work of today is the history of tomorrow, and we are its makers. Okay, so for educators out there, your role in society is so vital you are being entrusted with, and you have chosen the most noblest of professions, and that is to focus on the minds of today. Those minds of today are the ones that are going to have to be the leaders of the future in every sector of the world, right? Whether it's politics, whether it's in the private sector, every industry, whether it's in law enforcement, future educators. So there is no more noble profession than what you guys are all about. And, um, and you know, and, I, for one, as a parent, don't take that lightly. I, for one, as a lifelong learner, don't take that lightly, or as, even as a corporate leader. And so in the times when things may seem really pressure-filled, because, yeah, some parts of what we're going through as a society right now seem a little crazy, right? Um, remember what your mission is, and your mission are those students, right? And there is Nobody more important to the future of humanity, to the future of our country, to the future of your local community, my local community, to the future of this world and this one planet we live on, than our next generation of leaders who are the students of today. So I want to say a special thank you to all of the educators out there, including the administrators, anyone who has anything to do with education, whether it's formal K through, K through 12, community-based, um, higher ed, whatever the case may be, you are in the most noble of professions. And um, I, for one, thank you for your commitment and your leadership. Well, that is awesome. And this has been awesome. Uh, thank you for bringing your energy. I now understand uh, how you get to lead so many folks. Uh, you don't lack for energy and focus. So uh, I really appreciate you bringing it here and uh, look forward to hopefully uh, our paths crossing again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks. Bye. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential. Mm -hmm.